Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. One of the things that it, I think is not talked about a lot, and that's mental health within the military and what the stigma is. We talk a lot about stigma in society as a whole. But I think it's even more of a stigma, or it can be even more of a stigma in the military itself. And we're going to be talking specifically about emotional intelligence and why it's so important in the military. And I've got a special guest. He's been in the military for quite a while, and I can't wait to introduce him to you here coming up. So the title of this episode is Why Emotional Intelligence is So Important in the Military with Eric McCall coming up. Welcome to the Mental Health Today show. My name is John Cordray, and I am a licensed therapist, and I am the host of the Mental Health Today show, and I am delighted that you are here. Thank you so much for being here. I also want to direct you, you to the website. Uh, sometimes I don't always say that in the episodes, but I do want to emphasize that now. Uh, go to mentalhealthtodayshow.com, mentalhealthtodayshow.com. There you can see all of the archived episodes and the blogs and different things there that are very valuable to you. You can catch the, read the the show notes and everything that we talk about in the episodes are in the show notes as well. Well, let me get to this episode. We're going to be talking about the military and, and a lot of you who are listening, either you are in the military or somebody or have a loved one that either is currently serving or has served in the military. And this is going to be a really, really good episode, and I can't wait to introduce to you Eric. But let me tell you about his bio first. Eric graduated from West Point in 2003, the William and Mary MBA program in 2013, and the U.S. Army School of Advanced Military Studies in 2019. He has served in various leadership positions throughout his career, including an active duty logistics officer, platoon leader, and battalion commander. And I also want to point out, and I think Eric will say this as well, the views that Eric talks about here are his own, and they're not necessarily the representation views of the Department of Defense or its components. So I wanted to make that very clear. Well, Eric, thank you so much for coming on. Hey, thank you. It's, it's a joy to be on the show, and, and emotional intelligence is something that is, is very important to me, although I will admit that it hasn't always been. So it's something I've kind of grown in. And as you said earlier, what I say today isn't isn't necessarily the view of the Department of Defense. This is me speaking in my personal capacity, but it is something I enjoy talking about. Oh, that's awesome. And, and I appreciate you taking the time to come on and and share your experiences with with my listeners. And so so welcome, first, first of all. And I also want to mention my voice is a little bit raspy. You might notice I'm getting over uh, a cold. And last week I lost my voice completely and I'm just now getting it back. So I wanted to mention that because I, I am a little uh, raspy today. 
It's all right. But yeah, well, I, I think you, you and I were, were, were chatting earlier, I think, about, about emotional intelligence. It's interesting, having been in for, I think, 19 years now, I spent the first five years of my career as an infantry officer and, and then considered getting out of the Army. And it was, this was 2007. I'd just come home from Iraq, very frustrated, very angry, not really sure this is what I wanted to do. And I had a fantastic battalion commander who I talked with for his advice. And I'd wanted to get out and work for FedEx or UPS or Amazon or do something like that in the civilian sector. And he said, if you like logistics, try it in the army. And if you like it, you can stay. And if you don't, well, then you'll have some experience when you leave. And we would not, or I would not have used the term emotional intelligence back then. And that's a fairly small example. But this is a leader who was able to kind of hear, he clearly acknowledged the frustration, the anger, kind of where I was. And he was able to sort of give some good, solid advice in a very calm way. And I've never forgot that. He is part of the reasons that I've stayed in because it was a leader that I worked for who was kind, who was compassionate, who was a good man, who was a good leader, and clearly very emotionally intelligent. Now, that doesn't mean he was a pushover. He could make the hard calls when he needed to. He was a fantastic guy to, to serve with in Iraq. I trusted his leadership. I trusted him tactically, a fantastic infantry battalion commander. But it's been good to when I've had the opportunity to meet leaders like that. I've always admired leaders like that. I would like to be a leader like that. But I'll have to admit, as we talk through this today, John, emotional intelligence wasn't very important to me until the past couple of years. People may ask, hey, you've been in for 19 years. You've been a battalion commander. You've been around a little bit. How has emotional intelligence helped you? And the answer is, well, I really didn't care up until a couple of years ago. And so it's been a good change, I think. I think that is a cultural change that you are seeing in the military. There has been this very healthy, very good emphasis on, on creating a healthy culture, uh, on making people feel heard and feel valued, uh, on making sure that people feel like they can say what they need to say. And what do I mean by that? Well, what I mean is we have people from all over. I mean, a lot of our young soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines, Coast Guard, they come in at 18. They, from wherever they were and whatever they saw at home or whatever they saw where they came from, to them, that's normal. Whatever skills or experiences or perspectives they have, they may have never examined them. And so part of welcoming them into the military culture just in general is, hey, this is how we do things here. This is what we value and this is what matters. And I think every military leader plays a role in setting the tone for that unit. You won't know everything that, that goes on. You can't. You won't know everything that's going on in everyone's lives, but you can be the kind of leader that people feel comfortable talking to, that people feel comfortable sort of being around. And that's something I've learned, especially when I've spent large amounts of time away from home. As you and I talked about, I was away from home for a year and got back this past June. And I had a unit full of soldiers who were also away from their families for a year. So it became, hey, not only how do we get the job done? How do we have efficient systems and processes? Because we had a lot of work to do, but how do we make sure people feel valued? How do we make sure they feel like they matter, that they feel like they're part of a community that genuinely cares about them, especially if they've never been away from home before? And so it's, it was a great learning experience for me. I may be getting a little bit ahead of myself. You may have other questions. So I apologize for just taking off at a sprint. No, I love that. So very interesting. And I'm really excited to hear you say that it's really starting to become more accepted within the military. I think that's so critical. And you talk about emotional intelligence, and I would love to get your feedback. Well, how would you describe emotional intelligence? Well, I'm kind of stealing from Daniel Goleman, and I'm probably mangling the quote, but I really like some of the definitions that he used. It's the ability to understand, hey, what am I feeling and why am I feeling it? 
and how am I kind of expressing it in, in healthy ways? Uh, I think he may use the term emotional regulation that's or emotional self-regulation are terms I've seen uh, because you can't really deal with your emotions unless you acknowledge or really unless you can name them. Mm-hmm. And, and that can be hard. I think for a lot of people, not just in the military, they experience anger or sadness or frustration or uh, whatever, the whole range of human emotions, but they may not be able to say, hey, wait a minute, what am I feeling? And what is making me feel that way? And they need to be able to do that because you will regulate your emotions somehow. You may have somebody that, that, for example, all they know is they go home and they play video games for five hours a night, and they've never really examined why they do that, but they're regulating in a sense that they're venting the excess heat of whatever frustrations or stress they've had for the day, but they're not necessarily being deliberate about it, and they're not necessarily aware that's what they're doing. And I'm not attacking video games. I'm just using that as an easy example. Um, well, you're exactly right, uh, Eric. Mm-hmm. And I think whether it's video games or other things, if you don't want to really pay attention to your emotions, and mm-hmm. sometimes we use those items, whether it's video games, social media, maybe reading a book as distractions and not really paying attention to our own feelings and our own emotions. Right. And, and I'd include in emotional intelligence too. I think maybe co-regulation, correct me if that's not a real term, but you know, Hey, what are the people around me feeling mm-hmm. and why are they feeling that way? And that's not taking responsibility for their emotions, but it is being aware of them because often I think people will, if they're feeling whatever the range of human emotions is, they may want help dealing with it, but they don't realize that. And they don't know how to ask. And so, so that becomes the, the, the person that's always constantly venting their emotions, but never really dealing with them or never really looking at circumstances. They're just venting. They're just always angry or whatever it is. And that has been a conversation I've had with, I've had to have, I think, as, about emotional intelligence. Because yes, you can have sort of one end of one ditch you can fall into on the side of the road of, well, I just ignore my emotions. They're not important. I don't care. I've got a job to do. I'll just set them aside. Well, you, you can't do that because your emotions will show up somewhere, somehow. They're not going to go away because you ignore them. But the other ditch as we get into co-regulation is, hey, I'm just going to spew my emotions everywhere on anybody who will listen. And, and that's not necessarily helpful either, falling into either one of those ditches. So I would define emotional intelligence as sort of that wisdom, that discernment, that self-awareness of what am I feeling? Why am I feeling it? How am I expressing it? The people around me, what are they feeling? Why are they feeling it? And is there some healthy, appropriate ways I can help them? And and so that's kind of where I'd go with emotional intelligence. And the military is a people business. We spend a lot of time, obviously, in close proximity to other people, often under tremendous stress, sometimes in physical danger. And, And so the most effective leaders are the ones who develop the most emotional intelligence who can sort of develop that ability to regulate their own emotions and help other people regulate theirs in healthy ways. If I'm off the mark, please tell me, but that's my layman's understanding of it. No, I think you hit it right on the head and very clear and detailed. And as you were talking and describing that, I was thinking about this battalion commander that you were describing earlier that talked to you so long ago. Mm -hmm. And he helped you kind of think through, hey, what about logistics within the military. Mm-hmm. And that was a long time ago. And he spoke to you and it spoke and it resonated with you. And you're still in the military. <laughs> you're still here. Right. Well, I think, and this is, he's a great example of this, and I'm glad you brought him up again. 
people may forget what you say, but they'll always remember how you made them feel. Mm. And that's something that it's very easy to forget. And that battalion commander, he did not say, what are you whining about? Like, mm. shut up. Or, hey, other people have it worse. Or, oh, hey, it's okay. Do you want to like, just, you need a hug? I mean, he didn't sort of mock what I was feeling. He didn't coddle what I was feeling, but he didn't dismiss what I was feeling either. Talk to me in a very healthy way of, hey, Eric, have you considered this? So he was affirming who I was as a person. Hey, you've got some interest. You've got some abilities. Maybe you feel that the army's not for you or the infantry's not for you. What about this instead? And that I think was very helpful career advice, but it was very good personal advice because I left feeling valued. And he is one of the leaders I've met over the years because you'll get this question sometimes of, hey, can you enforce a standard? Can you push people even under pressure and still make them feel valued? And the answer is yes. I mean, I have, I've been lucky enough to work with some fantastic leaders who could sit me down or, hey, Eric, this is the standard. You're not meeting it in this way. This is what needs to get fixed. But they could do it in a way that wasn't humiliating or shaming or anything like that. It was just a healthy, hey, Eric, here's how you need to get better. And so I could walk out of the room as a better officer and a better man for having had that conversation. And that's fantastic. And, and that is a sign of a very good leader when you feel valued yourself. And that's exactly what you're describing. And I know we, we have talked before and you have had people come up to you in the military, correct? And you have helped them with mental health struggles or emotional intelligence. And have you applied that with the, those who have come to you for advice or help? I, I've tried to, and I have, I've, I would hope that I've had some positive effects on soldiers that I've led or soldiers that I've worked with. And yeah, there's one case in particular, and I didn't even realize it at the time. Like I didn't realize what was going on. This is while I was gone for a year. I did not know what he had going on back home. And I did not find out until later that it meant something to him, that I and the other leaders I had in the unit actually cared about him. And that meant a lot because every leader, I think we all, regardless of where you work or what field you lead in, we all know the right things to say. We all know how to show up and say, hey, I'm the new manager here. Hey, I'm the new commander here, whatever it is. And I value candor and I care about each of you. But the speech really doesn't impress anybody. What matters is the thousand little decisions that you make every day that show that you actually do care. If you say you value candor, and the first time somebody is actually candid with you, if you get angry or defensive, well, they're not going to be candid with you again. Mm. Or the first time that they communicate a need or maybe that you perceive a need, hey, if you help them find somebody who can help them, they'll remember that. If you value them, they'll remember that. But if you dismiss it or ignore them or tell them, hey, just stop whining, hey, get back to work, hey, nobody cares, they'll remember that too. And so it's been very humbling to me to realize, hey, if you're in a leadership position, regardless of where you are, people are paying attention to what you do. And I had a very humbling lesson. I had a fantastic, when I was a battalion commander, I had a fantastic sergeant major, great guy to work with. He was my senior enlisted leader in the unit, fantastic source of advice. And he was also always honest with me. And we would have breakfast together every day and we would talk about what's coming up for that day or soldier concerns we were aware of. And I remember there was a period of a few days where I was very angry about something in my personal life. It was not work-related at all. And I thought I was hiding it pretty well. I thought I was acting the same at the office. And he kindly said to me, sir, I don't know what's going on, but you're putting everybody else on edge. Hmm. And that was a very humbling realization that, hey, people will pick up on, on what you're thinking and feeling. And if you're in a position of authority, it may make them uncomfortable because they don't know what you're going to do. 
And so that was very humbling. And so I also found that that identifying people around you who are good at this is really critical. It's sort of this iron sharpening iron concept where, hey, if I find the people in my organization who do this well, who can cover my blind spots. And in my case, I was very lucky. I had a fantastic sergeant major who was very emotionally intelligent and very helpful to me. I had a great executive officer. That was my second in command. He was a major, also very good at it. And and, and, I, and I had some other fantastic leaders who were very good at making people feel welcome and feel valued. And so it was a good dynamic, but it took some very deliberate analysis of, okay, how am I going to do this? How do I make people feel welcomed? How do I make them feel valued? How do I make them want to do a good job every single day they're at work in a positive way, not by driving them, like by yelling or shaming or humiliating, but by, hey, we're going to do a good job today because people are counting on us. And I was really lucky. I had some really talented, fantastic people to work with and that that was a really big help. And they could maybe help in situations where I didn't have the background or the skill set. And that was great. I was so lucky. Yeah, it makes a big difference when you have a team that that can that believes the same things as you, the same values yeah. with emotional intelligence. And I talk to a lot of clients and they talk about toxic work culture and, and they talk about a a lot of times they'll have a manager that's very toxic and mm-hmm. really just hard on them and not really caring or valuing them. And what you're mentioning, wow, to, to be able to, I'm sure people are listening to this and, and they might be thinking, man, I wish I had my manager was like that. <laughs> because it, it, that a lot of times, I mean, we've heard. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Before, people leave a, a job, not necessarily because of the job, but because of the bad manager. Yes. And I think that's something that good leaders in the military know too, is especially if it's younger personnel, in a sense, the first unit you're assigned to, that's just how you view, for example, in the army, your first unit to you, that is the army. Mm-hmm. Like you just assume right. the rest of the army is the exact same way. And so if you have a leader who's maybe the army term for it is more counterproductive leadership, but yeah, same thing that you're describing a leader who maybe isn't very mature, isn't very self-aware, doesn't quite have the skills they should have and may not even know it, yeah, that can do some damage. And, and so I think that the best thing that every leader can do is not only to be self-aware of their own strengths, their own weaknesses, their own shortfalls, but also be willing to listen to feedback from others, kind of take that honest, sincere feedback. And, and there's an art to that because I've found that, at least for me, I've had to learn how do I provide feedback in clear, honest ways that doesn't humiliate people? And how do I make people feel valued in a way that doesn't feel awkward or kind of hokey, if that makes sense? We've all seen that manager that read a book on leadership and it said, make sure to tell your employees this. And so they sort of parrot that phrase. Mm. They don't necessarily mean it. They don't know how to mean it. And so it's, and again, I've been very lucky to work with some leaders who did this well, who could make people feel valued and make people feel heard. And and, and yeah, one of the, the jokes they'll tell you in the army too in that vein is, hey, look, when you become a battalion commander, you do not get any funnier and you do not get any smarter, but people will pretend that you do. <laughs> and, and so you have to, so you, it really helps to have those leaders or those people close to you 
that can give you honest feedback and kind of tell you how you are coming across. And, and that really matters. And I'm very glad to see the Army emphasizing that kind of self-awareness. That's a very good thing. Um, it is a really good thing. And, and one mm-hmm. of the things, I didn't mean to cut you off there, but when you were describing what you and mm-hmm. the leaders in your life have demonstrated emotional intelligence and trying to show value and listen and be kind and encourage and build up. Mm-hmm. I know for me, when I was younger, watching a lot of war movies, and maybe this is a stereotype. And so you watch a movie and these young soldiers go into basic training and it's like they get yelled at and screamed at and called all kinds of names and they tear them down and, and they talk about tearing you down so they, the army can build you back up. I don't know if that's, a, that's just in the movies, but what you're describing is a completely different approach. Well, I think the important part, and I've, I, one thing to remember is we are, the when I say we, the military, we are a very high stress profession. I mean, I know there are other high stress professions out there. I'm not acting like we're, you know what I mean? We're a high stress profession. We are sometimes in physical danger. We are sometimes far from home. And so, yes, we do have to help people increase their stress tolerance. And sometimes that is helping them identify, like we've talked about, in a way of, hey, how do I put you under pressure that's just enough to help you grow and learn how to deal with pressure? Not so much pressure that I break you and not so little pressure that it's a joke, but it has to be sort of, and there's an art to this. There's an Mm -hmm. art to effective training of, hey, I'm putting you under pressure, maybe in ways that seem overwhelming to you right now, but when you look back on it five years later, it's not a big deal. But as a leader and as a trainer, and I have never worked in a basic training type unit, so I can't speak to how they do things, but you want to put people under just enough pressure to help them get better. And you want to build that confidence and build that competence and build that ability to handle stress. And that's an art. And some of that is, yeah, the coaching. Some of that is the, hey, we're going to get there. We're going to keep learning this. We're going to get better. It's okay. Some of that is the, hey, I'm going to dial the heat up and see what you do. But it's never done to be, it's not being sadistic. I mean, if you've got a leader that's just yelling at people to yell, that's not effective. Mm-hmm. I, I, don't know if I'm, I don't know if I'm answering your question well. No, you are very well. And, and it, so it makes, so what you're saying, somebody uh, with emotional intelligence, and let's say uh, my, my example of uh-huh. basic training, I've never been to basic training. So it's all, only what I've seen in the movies and on, on TV. Mm-hmm. Um, and what you're saying though, it, it's the intention mm-hmm. is to know in that art form to know what, how much pressure to put on someone, but not too much pressure and not too less pressure because it's trying to build their resilience and their stamina, emotional, physical stamina. Uh And that actually is a part of emotional intelligence as well. Uh, Yes. I mean, and and, and I'm sure that, and if you like, I can try to find some more people to interview that are, that are more knowledgeable on this than I am. But yeah, there is, there's a lot of research that the military has put into this, and I'm sure that probably law enforcement and other fields have too, of, hey, how do I help you find ways to be more resilient to stress, more resilient to traumatic events? Please ignore the Labrador behind me. He's, he's wondering why I'm not <laughs> paying attention with him right now. But hey, how do I build your resilience to stress? How do I help you build the ability to handle stress? And how do I dial it up? And so it, it becomes this and I think there have been studies on this. There's one of the books I'd recommend is The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk. Mm-hmm. And also Diane Langberg has done some good work on trauma. Mm-hmm. Of, but if somebody has a sense of purpose and a sense of community, they are much more resistant and resilient to traumatic events. And if I understand it correctly, one of the causes of trauma is a sense of, hey, something bad is happening to me and I am powerless 
or the people that are supposed to help me aren't here to help me. Exactly. And that, and that can be abuse. That can be a traumatic event of some other kind, but that's what tends to cause damage. But if you have people that feel like, hey, I have been placed under stress before. I have been trained in the skills that I need. I am surrounded by people who are beside me and who will care for me and I care for them and I am beside them and we are in this together. I think that will help somebody become a lot more resilient to trauma. Obviously, they're not immune to trauma. They're not immune to pain. They're not immune to sorrow or grief or to difficult circumstances, but they're much better able to process it and work through it and handle it, if that helps. I don't know if I'm explaining it well. Again, this is not my field of expertise, but you're right, though, that emotional intelligence matters because it's being able to look at people and say, as I'm training them or coaching them, how much stress can they handle? Mm -hmm. Because we talk about time management, but energy management and stress management is also part of leadership. Absolutely. And, and a, a big part of emotional intelligence is learning your own limits and yes. trying to push yourself as well. And whether it's emotional regulation or maybe it's uh, pushing yourself, maybe you're at, at a fatigue mm -hmm. and you, you, physically you want to push yourself. Mm -hmm. uh, but you also then look at someone else and try to put yourself in their shoes and yes. have empathy towards somebody else and not automatically judge them. But to ask, I, that's kind of the same thing that when I worked in the school systems and one of the things I try to help the, the, stat, the teachers and the staff yeah. to think about with students who are reacting, they react out of their trauma, like you were mm -hmm. mentioning. Yes. And instead of asking or, or thinking to themselves, what's wrong with this child? Mm -hmm. There's something wrong with this child and this child needs to be punished. Mm -hmm. But instead of that, the emotional intelligence part would be instead of saying what's wrong, it's what happened to this child. It's a much more uh, empathetic in a, a better way of addressing yes. the situation because now you're, when you come from that standpoint, what happened to this child, you're not more, you're, you're less likely to want to punish them, but then wanting to help them. Yeah. And I, I think that's a great point. And, and again, I've, I, as I mentioned earlier, we got, you get a little bit of everybody in the army. They're coming from various places, various backgrounds. I don't know what their home life was like. I don't know what coping skills they were taught or not taught. I don't know how self-aware they are. And so part of that is, hey, there may be fractures that I can't necessarily heal, but I have to make sure that you know where to go to help heal those, to help you become more resistant to stress and more resistant to trauma, and just to be healthier. That's I'm not a mental health professional. I cannot give that kind of advice, but if a soldier needs to see one, how do I make sure that they feel they can without a stigma and without shame? And they can get the help that they need and maybe examine some of the behaviors or assumptions that they came into the army with that maybe they've never thought about before. So yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, it's an art form. I've seen some leaders who are absolutely fantastic at it. I wish I was half as good at, as, as they are, but we're very good at helping people deal with stress and learn how to manage stress in healthy ways. And that's the other thing I've sort of learned in leadership is that the leader's emotional regulation is contagious. Hmm. And I used to tell my lieutenants that as a company commander, this was a long time ago, but I said, look, you should be the calmest person in the room. Regardless of the situation, you should be the calmest. If you're the leader, you should be the calmest person in the room. Because if it doesn't mean you're lazy, doesn't mean you're indifferent to danger or stress, but it does mean that you project an air of, hey, it's okay. Yeah. Here's the decisions we need to make. Here's what we need to do. Let's go do it. And that's an art form. But I wanted to hammer that home of you need to be the calmest person in the room, because if you're the senior person present and you're panicking and you're flipping out and you're losing your mind, 
it's going to undermine everybody else's confidence in you and in the situation and in the unit. And they're going to start getting a little agitated too. And they may not even consciously realize it. So you've got to be the calmest person in the room. And that's to loop all the way back. The question you asked me 30 minutes ago, that battalion commander, and and I remember this is a long time ago, but I remember that battalion commander I told you about at the beginning of the story, he also had a fantastic XO. And, And that XO, a man I deeply respect, the battalion commander has since retired. That XO is, is now a general. But that XO was also very calm and regulated very well. And I remember just listening on the radio, and they would literally be in gunfights, and that XO would be very calm. Hmm. And it wasn't, I'm sure he was dealing with stress. I mean, he's, I mean, there's, <laughs> but he was calm. Yeah. And he was set, and he was in control. He knew what he was doing. He was well trained. He was competent. He managed the stress well. And that inspired, I'm, I'm sure that inspired confidence in everybody who was with him as he was in a fight. So I've I've been very fortunate with some of the leaders that I've worked with and and I'm grateful for that. Well, and that's fantastic. And this has been a, just a really very helpful episode, Eric. And I I really appreciate you kind of explaining the the emotional intelligence and, and why it's so important in the military. I appreciate you letting us know of really the emphasis that the military is placing on emotional intelligence. That's very encouraging for me and as a mental health professional. And so I, I appreciate you bringing that to light and I appreciate your service to our country all these years and the years that you're going to continue. And thank you for not just the service, but the people and the soldiers that, that you have been in contact with, that you've helped with because of your emotional intelligence. John, I, I appreciate that. And, and yeah, I, I've got a long way to go. I think you and I have talked about that two years ago. I had a very kind friend who gave me a book on emotional intelligence, which is not a very subtle hint. When, <laughs> and I realized, okay, this is going to take some work. And obviously you can't get through, you can't get there through just books. There's some great yeah. books out there, but you really have to get to know people. And I've been very lucky in the people I've been able to know. And I will say, I don't know, I, I can say this, I think with confidence, if somebody listening to this is in the military, or if you have a loved one or a family member or friend is in the military and they're struggling, encourage them to talk to somebody. Mm. Like that, that would be my parting shot here is encourage them to talk to somebody. And hey, we, we do maintenance on machines. It's even more important to do maintenance on people. Mm. You've got some that. things to work through or figure out, that's okay. Just work through it, drive on, get the help you need. And, and that's, that would kind of be my parting shot here. Um, but again, thank you. I'm really, I enjoyed this conversation. It was great to talk about some of the leaders I hadn't thought about in a while, but they had a huge impact on me. So thanks again for your time, John. Well, you're welcome. And uh, again, I just uh, appreciate you. Oh, I, I appreciate you coming on, but I don't want you to leave just yet. So I got one more uh, okay. last question here. Sure. <laughs> uh, so this is a question that I ask all of my guests and it has to do with uh, self-care. Uh, yeah. I talk a lot about self-care. Mm-hmm. And whether it's with my clients or on the podcast here, just just in general, I believe in self-care is so important, so critically important, and it's a part mm-hmm. of our emotional intelligence. But I would love to know, what are some things that you do for self-care? Okay. Well, I found that physical exercise really helps. It's a good stress relief. So I would commend that. And again, that's something, I mean, that the Army literally pays me to do. So that's great. <laughs> so, so I found physical fitness really helps. I found that, well, that's a big thing is physical fitness really helps. Reading is also good. And that can be a range of things. Sometimes that is, sometimes that's a cheap science fiction novel to just sort of kind of read something light for a couple hours. And sometimes that's a book that really makes me think. Mm. When I would say, I think the army term for it is spiritual fitness. I would say I, I 
Know what you believe and know why you believe it. Mm. That's, that is very important. And of course, if you're in a profession that is high stress and where there is the possibility of being injured or killed, um, that is something that people should devote some thought to. Hey, what do I believe and why do I believe it and what am I trusting in? And work through that. Yeah. So those are the big things. Working out, I would say spiritual fitness and walking is good. Like I said, you can probably hear the Labrador behind me. He wants to go for a walk and that's good for him and it, and it is good for me. So those are what I would commend. And I realize, especially for military personnel who are deployed, it may be hard to find a find time to, to get away to read a book or, or go for a walk. But if you can do it and, and physical fitness, like I said, um, goes a long way it goes, and get plenty of sleep. That's another mm. thing. Get plenty of sleep, you know, make time for sleep. I mean, this is, I'm, I'm taking this in directions you may not have expected, but you know, <laughs> in terms of self-care, yes, you need to sleep. Yep. You know, yes, you need to sleep. Yes, you need to stop. And I've often found that the people who are the most overworked are often the least likely to ask for rest. And so as a leader, you've also got to be aware of, hey, am I allowing people the time for self-care? And when leadership positions I've been in, even overseas, I've done that where, hey, do you have somebody to call back home? And then I had to make sure that they had time to call back home. Mm. So, so building those human connections is another big part of self-care. Military members, we tend to move a lot. So that is a hard part of self-care for us, staying in touch with people. If you move every two to three years, it's definitely doable. I found that I tend to run into people again later on. <laughs> so, but yeah, I would say physical fitness, physical fitness, go for walks, get plenty of rest. And yeah, and then it's okay to stop for a minute. Yeah. I think. I and like that. Yeah. So again, very long-winded answer to a simple question. And I apologize <laughs> for that, John, but hopefully helpful. No, it's very helpful. I appreciate that, especially the tips when, if someone's deployed, because uh, you know that all, all too well. Well, thank you again. I, I promise I'm going to let you go now, <laughs> but right. appreciate you coming on. Appreciate your service. If any of you who are listening to this, if you are in the service yourself or a loved one or, or somebody just really appreciate you. I know the sacrifice that you are placing. And if you're a family member that maybe has a deployed loved one, that's a, a sacrifice as well. And, and I appreciate you as a family of uh, making that sacrifice because sometimes it, it goes unnoticed or it feels like it goes unnoticed. And I just wanted to point that out. Thank you for families and for loved ones and the active service military uh, professionals. Thank you for your service. Appreciate it. And I want to listen. Uh, thank you all for listening and appreciate you, whether you're new to the show or you've been around for a while. I appreciate you. want you to continue to work on your mental health. Or as we talked about today, work on your emotional intelligence. Keep working on it 1% more today than you did yesterday. And I want you to remember that this, the Mental Health Today show has been championing your mental health since 2015. Thank you so much, my friends. Take care. Bye-bye. This year, build your credit history with the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card. No credit checks to apply. Get started at Chime.com build. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Chime checking account and 200 qualifying direct deposit required to apply.